The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Don't get too close. Everybody's dying of the flu this week. I thought it was measles, but oh well, I guess it depends where you're living. (laughs) Anyway, tonight we're going to be talking about automation. Now, not the robot cars that are going to be driving on our roads, not the robot trucks that are taking your jobs, the robot restaurants. No, 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 none of that awful evil automation stuff. (laughs) We're going to be talking about the cool automation. In other words, automation that's going to let you play with yourself. Tonight, we're going to be talking about automating uh, tabletop gaming and uh, role-playing games. And for this, we've brought in someone who's fascinated by the subject of automation, math teacher, martial artist, programmer, gamer, Brian Welcher also known as Books. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, it's great for you to come by. Um, when we heard about your your automation project, we were fascinated. We wanted to learn more about it. Yeah, awesome. I'm really looking forward to sharing it. I'm hoping one of the things that might come out of this is that people will be able to access the information and even take it and run with it on their own. So it's a thing that is open source. Oh, open source is automatically awesome. <laughs> All right. So, so Books, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background first? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so I live in Nova Scotia now. Um, I'm originally from Newfoundland, which is uh, where I get my good looks from. And uh, currently, I work as a, a math teacher um, in the Halifax area as well, uh, at the high school level. Uh, typical math geek, of course. You're not going to be a math teacher without loving math. Uh, but before that, I kind of had life and other things, so I spent a lot of time uh, collecting a bunch of letters and things like that. Um, so I've got a lot of academic interests outside of math, um, and some of that has to do with Asia has been a big interest and spent some life kind of around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and interest in the world and languages and all that kind of stuff. But one thing that stayed through throughout that whole time since being a little fella it has always been role-playing games and tabletop gaming and things like that. It's always been of interest. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So what, what was your first game, Brian? Uh, for me, it was Dungeons & Dragons 1st Edition. Uh, so not one of those lucky people got to experience Elf or Dwarf as a class. <laughs> uh, okay, not that far back. Um, and just loved it, like, right away. I mean, I don't know if I've ever come to grips with what it is, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, for gamers, it's just, it's awesome. Like, right away, it strikes every chord, everything that we're interested in, in terms of, you know, a little bit of math, a little bit of reading, history, having some goofy fun and things. So it's just always been of interest. It just hooked right away and really deep. Oh, no, makes sense. No, no, uh, same here, and I'm sure yeah. Don would say the same thing. Cool, yeah. yeah. Probably the best way of summing it up I've ever heard, really. <laughs> right. Now, did you yeah. guys start with Dungeons & Dragons? I'm curious. Yeah. Oh, no, cool. I started with, um, I guess technically it would be, what are we, is it Blue Box D&D? Right. It would be the one that came after Red Box. Right, right. I th- is that Expert Rules or something like that, I think it was called, I maybe? I think something like that. I th- Yeah, well, anyway, whatever, so... 
here probably Redbox. I I don't remember. Mm. We I was just playing with friends, and they just pulled out books and said, "Here, this is D and D," and we kind of went from there. Exactly. Um, mm. but this was of course back in the very early 1980s. So, the way I explain it to people or my students at the college where I teach these days is, yeah, those kids from Stranger Things. I was one of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just less psychic kids and monsters. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Wow. Um, Don, you had a similar experience, didn't you? Yeah, I started um, because when the one the one that Rob started with, uh, I suspect is is what it's called Magenta Box now. I guess. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because it's the one it had three hole punched in the actual rule book. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's That's it. Because I I started a couple years before with the uh, what used to be the, the the blue book. Right. Which is, it, it was a weird, they were trying to bridge the very original and what, what, uh, the, the, the basic edition, as everybody knows it, which yeah. is mm-hmm. probably the first edition that you didn't need three people to teach you and a PhD. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> good old Thacko tables, right? Exactly. Oh, oh, oh yeah. no, th- this is even way before that. This was, was when it was like, here's this weird chart. We're not going to explain how you look stuff up, but <laughs> this is what fighting is. Okay, anyway, here's alignments, and this is how you map, and then initiative. We should probably mention that first. No, we won't. It's here now. This is initiative. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah. See, yeah. The game has evolved so much. Like now, like for example, most of my group nowadays were playing Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it's certainly the most, I think, and again, not that I have exposure to every game on the market, and I don't want to sound like that but i mean at least to my rec- my understanding it would be the most complex game probably rule set on uh, that's out there right now and when you think about where it's come from the mm-hmm. days of D up to all the gaming that's going on now and now this whole push into the dice just don't do it you tell the story as players not just the dm it's right. such an evolution it's awesome yeah mm. it is uh diceless games are pretty cool i agree yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, we we prefer the dice ones, and uh, we call it our lodge. I have a second building on my property, um, so I'm lucky enough to have a spot where we can actually spread out. And it's like being in a game store uh, <laughs> with you know props and thousands of miniatures and books everywhere and things like that. So um, even in terms of our game space, has really evolved since you know 12 years old, trying to come up with your own adventures real quick. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, so. Brian, so you played D&D uh, initially. What other games did you play back in the day? What were some of your favorites? Yeah, so I'm trying to think back to some of the things we played. I think at some point I wasn't even sure of what some of the things uh, were that we were playing. Like I think uh, you know there was different genres that came out at the time, and there's just so many different things. I think it was uh, uh, Palladium. Um, always course. had different genres, right? Yep. Right, yep. And uh, one of the big influences early on, and I think good in a way, because I think it really turned me to other options other than fantasy. Not that there's anything wrong, but it exploded the idea of what game it could be. And that was when uh, we got our hands on uh, Robotech and Teenage mm-hmm. Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so different. You're Classics. not talking oh, yeah. swords and magic necessarily anymore. And it just it broke the rules wide open. And, and I think that's really been awesome because we've done things like modern D20 is some of the things we've done. Modern Star Wars RPG gaming. Star Trek is just so many great stuff to attach into now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you definitely have some gaming cred. There's no question on that. Thank you. You tell my players that because as a DM, they would disagree. <laughs> oh. None. 
and anybody who remembers when D and D had three hole punched in the books, that's that's <laughs> that's, that's right. old school. That, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. School. And absolutely. you had to color in your own dice, right? I mean, you had to work yeah. to play the game. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's a part time yeah. job getting ready. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So, so okay. So that's your RPG side. Since we're yep. working up to something here, so what yep. about your tabletop background? Yeah, so for me, mine's really different than I would say the modern uh, installation of this. And I'm not saying this isn't big, and I'm seeing some of this come back, was right now, the, probably if you talk about tabletop gaming, and I apologize if I'm a little loose with my terms. Uh, I'm just using them in a conversation. Then, so if anybody mm-hmm. um, needs to correct me, I, I understand that too. But um, So probably the most famous one most people know of is Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm we not did a whole saying... show on that. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So, I mean, obviously, you're, you know, you're taking typically plastic or metal miniatures and moving them around. But uh, one of the things that kind of came before that, I think, I, would, I don't know if I could say it's a precursor, but maybe at least in terms of growth models business-wise as a precursor was your uh, hex games that you laid on boards, uh, mm-hmm. often World War II or ancient era. So the big one for me was one called Panzer Leader. Mm, and right. that was your typical World War II little square tokens with, you know, maybe defense or attack values and uh, historical combat. So rather than paying for expensive miniatures, which I think at the time would have been really hard to manufacture, you played with little uh, cut pieces. And uh, again, just blew my mind for the idea that you could model historical battles and then even create new ones. Holy fuck, that was just awesome. Mm. So um, as kids, we were just playing with all that stuff. And at the same time, we were even playing with plastic army men because to a point, it's almost the same thing. It's just trying mm-hmm. to imagine something cool going on in your head. So for me, it started with those Hexagon games. Those were huge. And actually, before us, we talked tonight. Um, that's actually what I was looking into is because there's some resurgence of it. Mm-hmm. Now Nowadays, though, it's obviously the actual uh, miniatures. That's something like Warhammer or... Mm. Um, you know, the big ones now, Dust 1947 or Bolt Action, Flames of War. Um, those are mainly World War II ones. And I'm more familiar with those only because that's a, a, a genre of interest. Not that mm-hmm. there aren't, you know, so many more um, great games out there. And I mean, there's just so many. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe yeah. it. Did you ever play uh, Battletech back in the day? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good call. Really, really good call. That. Um, so mm-hmm. I was really lucky. There's a, a friend of mine that I've known for many, many years named uh, Gerald Wells, and he is the consummate collector. And uh, every time we went to play a game, Gerald would have basically a show and tell of 15 new things he's bought. And you're like, wow, they make this? This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Battletech was one of the ones he rolled out. And God love Gerald because he furthered that palette for opening up. Look what you can do with these dice and these models and the stories mm-hmm. you can tell. And so Battletech um, for our table is resurging right now with the uh, the rule systems that I'm looking at creating. That's been a favorite of some of my friends. So, right, yeah, okay, I I can see that. Actually, there's a I think it's called MechWarrior. I'm not sure. Yep. There's actually a site you can go to online, and I'm not referring to the big 3D one where you're in the cockpit. There yep. was an actual like site for a while there that you could go to. I don't know if it's still there. Which you can play like against computer. Like they actually have like tabletop version of BattleTech that you can play online where you're moving around on hexes and everything and it's turn-based right. and you can play it solo and everything i'm trying to remember what it's called it was called mech 
it, it might have been called Mech Warrior, but that's being yeah. used for the big game. I'm not yeah. sure. Right. Yeah, and they've the one of the uh, unfortunate things that they've run into is they've had some name changes in terms of the product. So you've had mm. Mech Warrior, and I think there's like classic Battle Tech and things like that. And um, I think in the end, basically, they're they're reconciled under one name now. But oh, okay. um, yeah. Yeah, and oh, so, so you, you definitely know what I'm talking about. That yeah, yeah. And, and matter of fact, it's uh, one of the things we we've had to do with some of the automating is is we've had to adapt the rules, what you would call house rules for play of game, um, and we use a standard one on our tables. But when it comes to Mech Warrior, uh, we right. changed the rules slightly in terms of what you would call house rules. You, you mean you mean Battle Tech, right? Sorry, I said. But what did I say? You Mech said Mech Warrior. Warrior. Yeah. See, even I'm doing it with the names, right? Mm -hmm. um, Battle but um, yeah, with BattleTech, we have found that it's a little bit more adaptable to a, the the programming. Not because some games are bad for it's just rule systems are what they are. Mm -hmm. um, and when you're trying to mimic a human's thinking, the rule system and its complexity can change it. But that one we found very friendly. We've had really good games with that one, so that's been another favorite over the years as well. Okay, well let's take a step back then. Let's 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 uh, take a step back and. Okay, so let's talk about this automation um, thing that you're doing. Uh, yep. So let's let's uh, let our audience know exactly what you're talking about here. So how did this project to automate tabletop gaming start? Uh, well, I love that question. The, the answer is actually really simple, and that is I love gaming. Um, mm -hmm. And I've got great friends, the Consummate Gamers, which is great. They're always you know up for throwing some dice. Um, but schedules are still hard to meet. Um, mm -hmm. Things come up, you know, people have kids, work, all those things. And I found myself wanting to play more. And so in my particular case, it's Pathfinder. And mm -hmm. they produce just, in my opinion, the best products in the world. Pazzo does an amazing job with uh, the Pathfinder line. So I want to play those adventures, but if I can't get everyone together, and or mm -hmm. maybe they burn out. I mean, everybody can only, you know, it might be the best thing in the world. Uh, but you can only eat so much of your favorite food, right? Or in right, my yep. case, I may be gorgeous, but you can only look at me for so long. Um, <laughs> so in that case, how do you play more if you mm -hmm. can't get the people together? And I thought, well, you know, in the end, there's a finite list of things that, say, as a dungeon master, I'm going to have a goblin do. So, hey, could I write that up and play against my own rule set, write an algorithm and go from there? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, do you have an actual background in computer programming? So, um, I've got a whole bunch of letters, but one, none of them involve computer science per se. So, I do have a degree in mathematics, and of course, like most people, um, if you're involved with sciences, including mathematics, it's really a computer science in a lot of ways now. Uh, we use a lot of uh, computational methods. So, I've had mm -hmm. to do the requisite programming, but it's not uh, my strength, nor is it something kind of I do as a hobby. For me, that's going to be the hard part because this lends itself to even a little app would be great. Uh, it wouldn't take mm -hmm. a lot of computing power to, to put it to strictly to a code because the algorithms are really simple. And again, right. now, if you could, in the end, you might say, well, hey, books, isn't this the same thing as a video game but on paper? Absolutely, that's 100% right. Um, and so in, regard, in regards to that, I'd say it's like when you're playing Pathfinder, Dungeons & Dragons, whatever your favorite game is, compared to playing it on the computer. It's a similar experience, but it's not quite the same. So mm -hmm. while you could say you could turn this into a computer game, that's all it is, you're writing that code, it's not meant to do that. It's meant to take a plastic miniature on a table and mm -hmm. ha have 
you play against someone as opposed to playing chess against yourself. Like, how do you know, like, hey, if they say I'm playing Flames of War and I'm going to flank left. And I go, oh, my God, what a surprise. They flanked left. You know, like, you can't <laughs> do that with yourself. So you need to have some way of creating um, uh, randomness, randomness or mm-hmm. – uh, I mean not that it has to be perfectly random because obviously if you think about that in terms of automating, if you had a Sherman tank fighting a German Panzer III in a tabletop game, mm-hmm. you don't want that thing driving backwards at the enemy. That's right. probably mm. not highly effective. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, so it's not that it's hard, but you've got to make sure that there's a, a flavor to a human being making those decisions as well. So mm-hmm. that's also a part of trying to write a good algorithm is, hey, I want this to be like I'm facing another person who could beat me. Right. Right. Mm. So yeah, if there's at least at our table, if there's no risk, our our characters get killed. Right. Because if you don't, now we, I don't try to kill the characters. I love doing that. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> DM, I'm more invested in that story. And if if we can keep the the flavor of that moving along with that danger, I mean, if if you know if you make a really bad choice as a DM, you could run yourself into a trap. You really should have been checking. That's good because it creates a sense of danger. And you still want that in the algorithm. You want to know I can lose this game. Mm-hmm. which happened on our first one. We only tied, and I said, I think this is starting to work. Um, and the other thing, too, um, that happens with this that I found really interesting that we hadn't thought about when I was originally doing this as kind of an offshot is that you can play co-op. So oh. if if I'm playing, say, for example, my buddy Dale who has a Warhammer army, if I want to play against him, Dale and I are not competitive with each other. We're like brothers. We don't want to fight. It feels mm-hmm. like we're fighting. Um but it's really cool if we're looking downfield on the same army saying, how the hell are we going to get through this and get to that objective? Or, you know, how are we going to do this, say, if we're playing Star Wars Legion? How are we going to get around that ATST? It's really cool because we're trying to, you know, do it together. And so you can get a co-op mode that can happen with that. And some oh. games are starting to push into this as well. I shouldn't sound like this is just something I've decided on my own. There are people, of course, that simultaneously are coming up with similar ideas and, and getting it in the product and market as well. Totally. You're incredibly enthusiastic, Brian, but let's take a step back. So, okay, yep. so let me see if I got the pattern that happened here. Yep. So you decided that you wanted to be able to automate uh, Pathfinder to some degree right. anyway. Exactly. And when you say automate, you're referring to the players, I assume. You're not talking about the GM. Okay, the GM would still be human and the players would be automated. Is that yeah. what you want to do? So this is, this is where I'm at in terms of how I would see it. So let's take it if it were me and I wanted to play, but I just can't get a group together and yes. Wednesday nights are free. So the way I, I would do this, now again, I've got a lot of space and you know mm-hmm. a lot of benefits with that way. So, But this is how I would do it. I would have, um, let's say I make five characters that I want to play. And they're characters I'm making, so I can make up whatever classes I want. In my way, what I would do is I would literally put them around the table with a set of dice each, just like a human being was sitting there, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so they'll be like my friends. They'll just be funnier. Right. So I've got the paper and dice sitting there, and, um, and let's say first encounter, we leave town, mm-hmm. and we run into some goblins. The goblin has a – basically, it's an algorithm, which is a fancy way of saying there's just a probabilistic uh, tree of behavior for that creature – and so it may have the goblin can it. So it's three first categories. And, I, and right now, because I'm creating it, the categories sound the same. But it could be that the creature decides to attack. Mm-hmm. And then there would be algorithms to help decide who it attacks, how it attacks, what abilities it might use when it attacks. 
right. it might choose to, for example, I often have something listed as objective. That could be because, for example, you could change that to the person wants to attack someone or it wants to get a bag, it wants to destroy this. And there could be defend a creature. So you may have creatures that are more defensive. Its job is to protect a bigger boss or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what you would do is, is you would sit down with those players, and those players are me. I'm playing them. I have my own group. Of course, right. maybe you could do it, want to make a solo adventure. I'm just saying, I'm assuming I'm using a Paizo prepared adventure path because they're so good. Um, and so as my characters go through their initiative, they would do that. But when it comes to the monster's turns, the DMing, that's going to now go to the algorithms. And that's going to decide how okay. the goblins attack or interact with the party. So the party itself hmm. is still all being played by you, by a human being. It's just the creatures you're encountering that are being automated, basically. Right. How can I take a product off a shelf and play it if it's just me sitting here? Now, the nice thing about that is that's true for Warhammer and things. And I guess I'll, I'll even back up for you and say, so you might say, hey, you're a Pathfinder player. That's your, that's your coat of arms as Pathfinder. Why mm -hmm. did you go to the tabletop games? And I think what I could say is in terms of the evolution of the idea, the hardest part, or I shouldn't say the part, the clearest part that needed to be codified is combat. Mm -hmm. Not that in good role playing. I think we all know. Hey, it starts off being about swinging the sword, and then it becomes more than that. Uh, I love Bruce Lee's old quote. He say, "You know, when you start martial arts, you find out a punch is just a punch, and a kick is just a kick. Mm -hmm. Then you'll study for a long time, and you'll find out a punch is more than a punch, and a kick is more than a kick. Then you'll study for a lot longer, become a master, and you realize a punch is just a punch, and a kick <laughs> is just a kick. Right? Right. So nice way of saying sometimes basics are just basics, and grandma's right." Um, mm -hmm. So if I can codify combat, that takes out one of the biggest obstacles in playing Pathfinder. And because, say, something like Warhammer, which can absolutely have a narrative piece and makes the game better when you do that with tabletop gaming, or say like Dust 1947, you can absolutely create whole connected scenarios and things, and it's really fun. But they are, in essence, a combat game, which means I can refine how I develop the algorithms, the, the, my own vocabulary, my own language, and see how it works there before I put it into what I would call, in my opinion, just in my opinion, a more mm -hmm. complex environment of the role-playing table where things we would have intimidate checks in a game or was there even a perception check and things like that. So it, right now, it's a less complicated version of the tabletop or okay. the RPG table. Right. So, okay, so you want to do it for Pathfinder, but yep. you're using tabletop as your testing ground for this and development ground. Yep. Makes total sense. Yep. How does this actually work in actual play? You know, you said that you're still doing this on paper, right? They're, you're That's not right. actually doing this on electronics yet. So you just have like a flow chart that you're following for behaviors? Yeah, How do that's you determine right. Things? Yeah, that's right. So uh, you brought up um, uh, Battletech. Right, Can yeah. we use that as an example? Sure. Let's do okay. that because I think many of our listeners will be familiar with it. Cool. And I apologize because I'm not. And one of the <laughs> one of the glorious things about doing this that's been a problem is, is I've been putting my fingers into all the things I have on my shelf that I've collected for years. And some mm -hmm. of these things I've had for 20 years and never played and couldn't wait to play because I only got to play it once 20 years ago. I'm just waiting for a campaign to end and path on to play it. So if I'm right. off on any of the rules or details, I apologize to anybody who may be listening um, at all. So it's based on my flawed human understanding so the right. table i have in front of me right now is for something called the thorn which is a really mm -hmm. small mech 25 tons so mm -hmm. the way i've written this overall is the first thing i have to do is say well what what would the thorns objective be in terms of military 
technology and, and doctrine and things. And in this case, we're so light and lightly armed and pretty fast. Mm -hmm. I've had this as a real flanking type thing. This is a real, I have it like a light tank. It's jobs to get in behind you and hit you where you shouldn't be getting hit from. Mm -hmm. So on the first part of the table, it has three options that it could end up uh, having rolled. Attack, mm -hmm. which is, I think, self-evident. Go after the enemy and kill him. Play the objective. That can be different, as we talked about, and I can get into that in more detail if you like. And then there's a defend order. And so that mm -hmm. would be, hey, group up with a, an enemy or somebody who's been attacked. So once you determine, are they attacking, objective, or defending, then we're going to break down into how. The simplest mm -hmm. one would be attack. So, for example, the thorn has as its most likely probable outcome for attack, which I call, list as attack priority. So you've determined its overall action as attack, and now what is its attack priority? Most mm -hmm. likely for the thorn, it attacks the nearest enemy. Right. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So it, it wants to engage, get right in there, and get right in the fight. Other options, it has, this is listed right now as a D6. I am mm -hmm. converting things to a D100 only because mathematically, if I roll on a D6, at most I have six options, and if I do, they're all equal, whereas on a D100, I have a lot more numbers to spread it out. I right, don't know yeah. if that makes sense. That does yeah. make sense. Yeah. Okay. Why not use a D10, though? You can just work with percentages or D20. Totally. Yeah, and I think for a lot of players, um, uh, they play with you know favorite dice depending on what your first game was. So being a D20 player, 20s would be natural. I just like the 100. It's also easy because you say, hey, I want about a 30% chance. Okay, you know, 1 to 30. Okay, makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so not suggesting that this can't be modified or could take different ways. And the other thing is, like, for example, um, different games like, say, Warhammer is D6. So mm -hmm. in that case, it makes sense to maybe have a six because that's what you got laying around on the table. Yeah. Uh, typical gamer, I've got hundreds of dice sitting around. D100 just makes it more flexible for me. Again, mm -hmm. if this were done on a, on a computer, that would be behind the scenes in the code. It wouldn't matter to the gamer. All you know is you would get something on the screen right in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's options for attack priority in this case are nearest, the least armored because it's light. It doesn't want to go hunting big mechs. It doesn't want to be fighting an atlas. That's not going to turn out good. <laughs> yes. Um, and then its last option is to attack with the enemy with the greatest running speed listed. So in other words, it looks for the fast movers and it engages them because it's a fast mover. So nowhere in mm. there does it want to go after the biggest. It doesn't want to go after the most tonnage. It doesn't want to go after something that can do the most damage. It's looking for things that are close. It's an opportunity hunter. Makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So now if we were going to program this for an atlas, its job might be just attack. All six on the dice, that's the only thing it does is look for things and kill it. Whereas, yeah. say, for example, if I'm playing Dust 1947 where you would have a command section as a part of the unit, that's mm -hmm. not something you want up front in fighting necessarily. You may want to hold back uh, pulling off special actions. Uh, in my world, that would be your cleric maybe. You don't necessarily want them right at the very front so you have to code for that flavor. One of the things I think about that I haven't gotten to yet because I'm still testing numbers as much, um, just to bring it up, is one of the things I have to test is because you have an imperfect thing, you could, imperfect set of ideas, you could have that thorn right next to a mech and it's going to take off running away instead of attacking it. 
Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what a person does. So you can get some oddities. Now, for us, that's just fucking hilarious. You think, oh my god, I'm gonna die, and this guy's just hauling ass for the trees for no reason whatsoever. Right. You get some fun. So this is in no way perfect. There's a big hole here. The more you modified this algorithm, so for example, on the on the sheet I have for this thorn, when it says nearest, it says nearest, but in brackets, for example, it says if possible the damage. In other words, it's gonna ignore the nearest target if it, it really can't harm it. Mm-hmm. And sense. the other thing we do is, is we play the AI with a lot of forgiveness. A player just wouldn't do that. So it's saying nearest, but we'll have to look at that and make some decisions in it, which I think is really what gamers want, is the ability to modify that. So we're right now leaving it a little open. I, maybe mm-hmm. it closes up, but right now we want a little bit of, of maneuvering in terms of how right. you can interpret this. Right. right. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. It, um, and so that's that's the basics of it. And then the table just refines and refines and refines depending on the options you've got. So in this case, for example, and this is a game where there's heat. On this sheet, there's two columns. So I have the thorn for under four heat, which is really low heat. But if it's heat ever goes against above four, some of these options will now change. Mm-hmm. So you could keep obviously putting up more and more and more and more options and make this more and more like a human player. But the problem is, depending on if you're talking about Pathfinder and the number of monsters you could fight, you have to be careful of balancing specificity with creating enough um, mm-hmm. uh, options for you to actually play a game. Hmm. Okay. That yeah. makes perfect sense. So there's some other things yeah. that come up, if, if I can just bring them up, see if this sure. spawns anything. Yeah, please do. So, for, ex- for example, with the objective. That might be so for a lot of battle games, it may be, you know, blow up this particular uh, uh, ammo dump or something like that. But that can be flexible to the game. So sometimes you may have that if there's no objective in terms of in the traditional sense, it could be kill the command unit. So that's kind of cool. So now, you know, you got, you know, sniper teams or something in the game or in Warhammer, you know, the cavalry pieces are coming for your leader. So you can change that to fit the scenario as well. And as a side project to make it even more interesting for myself is because in the end, I'm really gaming against myself or as my friends Mm -hmm. say, hey, look, he's writing us out of his life so he can just play well (laughs) by himself. Right. Um, um, Is um, some of the other things you, you can do with this is change up that objective you could have for example in pathfinder it could be the objective is kill the casters okay so you can flavor even this by saying what is it that would happen and if if i'm using a pre-prepared module and it says it wants to make sure it gets the ring back then these Mm -hmm. goblins will be say objective will be listed as attack ring bearer or uh, retrieve ring so you can have this give a story flavor it's not just a random military mm-hmm. style table and this could be different it could be you can also list morale rules in this if you wanted if it gets to this point it changes up and starts to try to flee for example like we don't I don't have flee in this list um, because we're assuming these units want to fight to the very end but it's very possible mm-hmm. that you know you, you write up and you could change this and my hope is that people will take this for free and then use that to have fun when there's only one or two uh, you know, girls sitting around and they want to be able to play, but there's no one else around. They're like, cool. Here's some rules to do it. Um, and that the, almost it become like a community project to be able to share this and say, hey, I developed something for this unit, or hey, I did develop something that works this way, and people can share this. Um, just that, you know, gamers who love gaming can game, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Um, the one one uh, company out there that's really doing some neat work with this, and I, I have it, I just haven't put the miniatures together to be able to play, is there's a tabletop game for Fallout that's come out, and they have, whenever you buy the products, they, 
um, you're buying a, a suicider. Um, oh my god, what were those big guys called? Oh, mm -hmm. mutants. The super mutants. Sorry, the super right. mutants have a suicider. So when you pull out that stat card for it for playing the game, on the other side is actually AI rules for that monster. Okay. Huh. So you don't have to, they have that developed and it will say things like it goes after the objective and the objective may be a particular character or it may be getting to search certain piles and getting the gear before your group can and things. So I think some of the industry is starting to gather that, hey, it can be hard for people to get together. And I think in a lot of people, some people collect products, love it and just can't play because there's no one else they have around that shares it oh, right? Yeah. or, or no yeah. love for it even. So if you can put this on the table and play on your own, I think this opens up the industry a little bit. It gives it a little bit more richness that we didn't have before as role players or gamers. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, because it's 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 interesting that you're you're doing this because you've kind of hit on a uh, an odd, I won't say problem with with it, but a facet. Because if you go right to the earliest days of gaming, like one of the first strategic review, which was for the very original Dungeons and Dragons, one of their first articles was about solo dungeoning like how to play right. if you don't have like friends mm -hmm. and it it was all strictly about setting up the event so it was they had random charts and rulings for mapping out the dungeon and then you'd use like the appropriate level and random encounter tables and for your thing but there was no sense of uh what anything does once it shows up <laughs> and just it just attacks right. well it it could depending on the reaction role and that's kind of where it looks like what what you're you're getting at is that idea of 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 progression and I'm wondering there's two things that come to mind one is that reaction table from the earliest days of D&D &D. so a monster shows up and it was basically a roll plus a charisma modifier to see if they like you or don't like you or just going to mm. And I was wondering if you thought about for certain encounters setting that up and then I'm thinking, have you ever seen the uh, first edition Albedo role-playing game? No. You got me curious. They did a weird thing in that. It's um, because you've talked about the more story-oriented games you see nowadays. Yeah. And this was an early, early game that where the focus is going to be more on the characters and the characters' lives and that than the events or or the mechanics of the system. But they added a thing called ties and antipathies, where when your character encountered things, you'd make a check to see, do I like it or not? So the first time you have, like, strawberry ice cream, do I like it or not? And there would be a stat that you could develop for how much you like or dislike, and it would change and develop through the game. And I'm wondering if um, you you contemplated, well, the, the, the nightmare, that something like that would be for, for an automated system that you would have... Um, you would have like the uh, the algorithm controlled characters that their perspectives would change over time depending on the results of different things. Right. So one of my one of my friend one of my best friends Curtis um, always talks about how games that there's a consequence to are going to be better. Mm -hmm. So re even if you're playing a tabletop game and you do a battle, cool. But if you know in this battle you win, you get to say have ten percent more points in the next battle. You're going to really be fighting for this. It's going to make a difference. Or you may have to do a real quick retreat on the fly if you don't win. You're going to be fighting a, a harried retreat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something like that makes the game better. 
So if I said this is my thought process, this is where I'm at in terms of how I'm trying to understand how you could do this and still sit down at a table and, and play it. So the first thing was to think about combat. So that's mm -hmm. where I'm at right now in testing it. So for example, one of the things you have to test is because you have imperfect an imperfect algorithm, if you play one-to-one, -one, so for example, just to use the battle top, uh, tabletop battle games, if you're playing Dust 1947 and you're playing 60 points each side, the AI opponent you're playing against plays at an advantage, disadvantage because they're AI and I'm not that good of an AI writer. So right away I have to test for, well, how does that go? So for example, my son Xavier and I played a 1947 dust battle and we played with a 1 to 1.5 ratio. So mm -hmm. that means if we play with 100 points, they get 150 on the AI side. So we tried that and we were wiped out. We didn't even, we didn't destroy any of the enemy units and we were completely annihilated. Wow. So did we play poorly? Was it good rolling? Hard to know. So mathematically, we need to test this again. So this time, we played the exact same scenario, exact same table setup, but we played it with only 125%, and we cleaned the clock of the AI. So now, again, is that was that good playing? Did we understand better? Did we move better? Did we get better roles? Don't know. So just even adjudicating on how do you know how much to do that. So um, in Pathfinder, you might put on an advanced template if your group is particularly tough or you want a particular tougher encounter. So you've got to get through the battle stuff. Then the next phase, I would say, is looking at really nuanced battle. If you have, let's say, in Pathfinder, an Eldritch Knight, so you have a character that is both melee or you know maybe range, but is going to be versed in weapons and also spells, how do you make a chart that represents the right thing to do in that situation? Hmm. That's tough. Because if you have it going and swinging a sword against your fighter... Well, that may not be the smartest decision, and a person wouldn't have done that. So you've got looking at that is going to take some really nuanced writing in it. And then the third part, which I think is what you're getting at, that phase three for me is, what about now when there aren't swords or spells being slung? What about if I could call it social combat? Mm -hmm. What about int moments of intrigue? How do we write AI for that? How, and as you say, how does it have a lasting consequence that in doing so, that NPC has ended up against you, even though you know, the story has worked a certain way and you've tried, but yet it still hasn't worked out, which is great because it's that great moment. Like, oh, we were so close, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and trying to grab that into this is going to be difficult. I think the hardest part where we, we fight in trying to write AI rules for this is that in the end, this is a social game. It, it, mm, the parts yeah. that are going to be hardest to write is trying to replace my friends. My friends are funny as fuck. It's constant laughter and joy while we're playing. Like, it's just good times, really good times. That's hard. You can't code that. That's your, that's your friends, and that's why you love them. But I think in time, and probably if this got out far enough to people who are far smarter, far smarter, far more capable than me, we we could as a community probably do that if we, you know, hive minded this a little bit. And this can go on to any genre. I think there are some that are weaker, to be totally honest. As an example, uh, Call of Cthulhu. I don't know how well this would do with AI rules <laughs> because so much of it is the setting. Like it's hard to sit over your table with dice and go. You know, I mean, I don't know what you do. Turn out the lights and just get a little lamp or a flashlight. Oh my God, we're sneaking up on that old farmhouse. <laughs> Let's roll a die, see if we trip. You know, there's this. It's hard to code that because mm. it's the joy of the fear of of what are you gonna do when you find that zombie raccoon for the first time. Your characters go insane and stuff. So, I don't know that this 
is going to cover everything. But my hope is that, like for example, in my case, which I think is really great, my son and I may have some time in the evening and we can sit down and play a game together and we don't have to play against each other and we can play on the thing we want. And hopefully we can even just say, hey, there's just two or three of us and we can still run a full campaign for Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition or for Traveler or whatever game you're playing. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I can see with something like this, um, when it's like truly automated, like when, when, when you move it over to like a computer program, um... As it gets out there, this sort of thing will, I can see snowballing in a hurry because even the more um, story-oriented bits, the flavor bits, the uh, the personality bits that other people w- would contribute, they're already working on programs now to write stories and write scripts. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and a lot of them are getting pretty close to the point where, and I don't know if it's because the computers are elevated or humans are, are degrading, but where you... <laughs> You're, you're getting to the point it's it's getting hard to tell which one was done by a computer and i think when 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 you automate something like this it gets easy to plug that kind of thing in so if somebody else has written like a, a personality program you can plug it in and then i think because gaming is a is it's it's a it's an open-ended but it's still a structured environment and i think if you started like an ai doing the flavor text for for running a game i think it would be it would develop a lot quicker because again it wouldn't have to simulate all of human experience like the call of cthulhu thing it would just have to make it sound creepy and use terms that make people wince so like moist will come up a lot (laughs) (laughs) things because that that i think is still the word that most people find most it would seem to be i work with teenagers it's definitely the word yeah (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, you make a good point. And I think one of the things that I've also started to understand, and and then you're hitting the issue exactly, is that there can be layering to how you do this. So one Mm -hmm. of the other side projects I've got is, uh, and again, I'm talking about tabletop gaming with long-term hope of being able to do it for Pathfinder, but I need to understand what it is I'm doing first. But um, when it comes to, say, tabletop gaming, I can sit down and create a scenario, but I've also created it. So did I create a scenario that I'm going to win? I don't know. So I don't want to sit at the table and have given myself already an advantage. I'm good looking enough. I don't need any more advantages. <laughs> mm-hmm. But one of the things I need is I need a random scenario generator. And I've really looked for this and I can't find it. So for example, another piece hmm. I have on the side is, and again, this one applies mainly to tabletop gaming, but for example, I have things where I can roll on a chart and it's going to be, this one is I'm surrounded. So everyone deploys in the center and within 12 inches from that are all enemies. So you just got caught in a big ambush. There could be an escort, an output defense, or uh, outpost defense. Um, it could be an amphibious assault. It could be an attack on an ammo dump. Maybe you're trying to hold a bridge or maybe you've got a rescue mission to get someone or capture a spy. So I'm developing scenarios that I can even do just what it is I'm doing tonight in my battle game is random and I can't kind of be prepared for it. I can also mm. um, randomize victory conditions. You could, mm-hmm. for example, create templates uh, for every creature you've got, like a goblin, a kobold, and everything, which is a big run. 
Now, in my case, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to try that, but say, let's say I pick uh, Kingmaker for Pathfinder. I'll just take a quick flip through, see what the creatures are. I don't need to read anything. I'm not really giving anything up. And I can just try to look at that and say, okay, I need to program for these next five creatures. You could also just keep it more general, which people might just find more friendly because for other games. So you could have tank-type creatures, arcane casting-type you know, uh, really spell-focused creatures, you know, So and you, could, and you could focus that down more if you want. So you could have aggressive arcane, you could have Abjurer Arcane. So again, you can give that flavor. And then you can even have a chart where upon first meeting of an NPC, it has their go-to social interaction pieces like you talk about, trying to make that part where the role play part comes in. So maybe in Pathfinder, the character chooses to intimidate first. Maybe they make a diplomacy check. Uh, maybe they make an offer or a bribe. And you can codify these. And you can make it specific to... Uh, Dave the the awesome fighter if you want or it could be just hey these are personalities and I even have a chart for randomizing which personality the MC gets so I can't control that and even in the code you could say I'm going to put in a actual random factor so for example we talked about um, uh, Battletech that I could have a, 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 a last piece where it's random it could be just totally out of nowhere if that's what you want that could add a lot of mayhem but depending on the style of gaming it could be kind of neat to find out yep that wizard is pulling a dagger and coming right at the fighter <laughs> why not right um, mm -hmm. and in the end I think where this really works as opposed to its deficiencies is when if you just say hey this is about having fun throwing some dice and getting to experience a story I might not have the friends I may not have the time I mean you know that all gets to come onto your table yeah you know there's there's kind of something um I don't know if you've ever seen but I even start when I was a kid there was a running gag of like say for slasher flicks or 50 sci-fi movies that people would come up with these like mad lib style like right. uh like script generators for them right exactly yeah and and I think something like that would probably work uh work pretty good for what you're getting at Especially if you say, like, say Pathfinder, it's easy to uh, to gauge threat level because they they have yep. a system for doing that. But mm -hmm. like like you were getting at, you can type things off in in different ways. So you could have like I, I need like a aggressive sneaky, and then it would randomly pick from uh, like what you've deemed to be aggressively sneaky. And I'm thinking you could even do that backwards, where you could have traits that would be applied to a basic template. So you talk about random, you could have like, if you're doing a battle tech scenario, one of the things that comes up with is dipshit. So this pilot's a complete <laughs> dumbass. Yeah. So his decisions will be completely like out to, to left field. We have to charge the right flank. And he's like doing a strategic withdrawal or, or you could, you could have characters that like, um, again, the same way they write like action movies to mm. say, well, this guy's an alcoholic. Um, right. This right. guy hears voices. This guy. And then that would affect things during play that because the algorithm is picking them up, you're not going to be aware of what's going to happen. Exactly. And, and I think that, I mean, I think that's really awesome. I think you're really now grabbing at what my hopes of this personal project could be is that I, I love that, by the way, I'm doing the dipshit thing. That's going on my <laughs> list immediately. But I, you know, like really, you could have like coward, right? Yeah. For your mm -hmm. wizard, you know? Uh, I, I mean, hell, you could have a template for horny for your goblin, mm -hmm. right? The guy just will not leave my leg alone. He's <laughs> followed me through town now for four days. The guy's got to be dehydrated. <laughs> um, 
and I think to a point again, and you mentioned a point earlier too. I think some point in the moment. This is not. I'm I'm reinventing a wheel to a point. There's definitely people who've been smarter, more creative out there that have already done elements of this, and maybe you know in all likelihood someone who's already done that. But the idea here is to simply take away. It's allowing you to play chess against yourself. Right now, I've got it at checkers. That's the problem. Uh, so I've got to upgrade it to chess as best I can. But I'm trying to write it so you can sit down and play it by yourself but still be challenged. Though I do, and we haven't talked about it yet, one thing I do think about is not putting this to computer code. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is one of the things I've noticed as a gamer is the introduction of tech is double-edged. Mm -hmm. So we are checking reference material all the time, and it's awesome. Um, I put a big screen up in our lodge, that's what we call the, the building I play in, we call it the lodge, because uh, in Pathfinder, the Pathfinders group up a lodge, so we refer to it that, or Nerdvana, depending on the day. Um, so um, when people, um, sorry, I lost my thought on, sorry, we were talking about... Tech, tech is double-edged sword. Oh, the double-edged sword of tech, thank you. So when we think about tech at the table, you have people, we can reference stuff real quick, which has been awesome. But at the same time, it is tech. It's really good. They're really good at designing the stuff, and it's designed to pull your interest in. And there is a loss of the face at the table. So I wonder if to a point, this is better as a collection of tables. And I'm not anti-tech, not at all. As a teacher, I love tech. My kids are good with tech. We use tech for lots of great purposes. But there is something to be said about unplugging and getting back to just the dice. There is yeah. something about that that's important, uh, I think, on a... On, you know, just a human level to just unplug. And so I like that my son and I are grabbing dice and throwing them and checking a table and seeing what happens. I think that's yeah. an also important part, you know? Hmm, I can see that. Although I think in modern age, a lot of people would just like this as some app for their phone or for their tablet so yeah. that when they're playing, so they don't have to go through all the really messy stuff. They can just simply let it run or, you know, just let, you know, this is the situation. Okay, what happens? Okay, this happens. And then they move it on the table. And they go on to the next thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and and I think in small forms, even some people have done this. Years before we've ever done this, I, I used random tables, uh, for example, for the bar name. Rather than coming up with them as a DM, it seemed to be fun to kind of, uh, put that out to the group and normally what we do is, is and we've started recording them because they've just become so outrageous um, and we would have okay we have the noun or you know adjective space noun <laughs> and people you know I go around the table everybody come up with an adjective everybody come up with a noun and then we roll based on how many it was and of course inevitably you end up with the harpies hairy balls as the name <laughs> of every tavern you're in right of course um, <laughs> but we do it for drinks um, you know like and again it, somehow it's going to end up you know uh, the dragon's uh, hairy ass. Like, it's just somehow this always seems to evolve into the exact same terms. But to some degree, people have done this because, again, a part of the game is creativity, which is where some of the new gaming is going, is relinquishing, giving, taking some of that away from the DM and saying, hey, we can group source the creativity here. Mm -hmm. So there's also options for doing that. I'm not creative enough to do that yet, and I'm too new in the process. But I think in terms of doing this, it's unlimited. It's just based on someone's creativity, and, and I suck, and, and I'm bald and, and dress in, in block clothing because of it. But I think there's lots of ways that you can take this and take it to games we haven't even talked about. I'm not even sure what it could be. But I mean, uh, I, I don't know how – like Magic – I don't know if you guys are familiar with Magic the Gathering. But, for example, they have solo decks you can play against. That's really a version of what we're doing here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, and I think some of the benefits are really good. Like, for example, I'm just putting out some ideas. Think about a gamer who ends up in the hospital because they have long-term treatment. How do you put yeah. together a gaming group in a hospital? But you got a kid who really loves the game. How do we? Or why does it have to be a kid? Why can't I be in the hospital long term? I wish the game and all. Now, now I need is a couple books and some dice, and I can maybe go off and do that. What about someone who lives, say, in a more more remote remote community in the north, or uh, lives in Ontario? You know, just something like that. So mm. there's places where this can be helpful. I just think that one of the things that some people might need to do is depending on the gaming, you're going to need to adjust it. And that's where um, I don't have the knowledge because you've got to know a lot of game systems to really make this wide enough to be for everything. So I think to some point it could only be Pathfinder rules, Dust rules, Warhammer rules, and then maybe you may have to take that and shape it as well. But I think it has a lot of flexibility if you if people get it into the right hands. Well, I think yeah. if you definitely make it open source, and once you've got it set up to your to your satisfaction with, say, Dust and Pathfinder and the others, and you put it out there, I think you'll find there'll be a decent number of people that will happily you know, pitch in and start doing it for different games, right? Help yeah. create a kind of giant repository of here are the rules for different games, etc. I think this is definitely something that could become a community project. For sure. And I think there's people out there who, who already have done this to some degree, have already done the thinking on it, which would be, um, like I say, one of my hopes is that people, one of, at, at my table when we talked about this, what do we, how do we hope this would go somewhere in terms of them being the testers and kind of invested in a bit is, hey, we'd like for people to take it, but the one thing we hope is that everybody will keep sharing it with someone. So I'm not at that stage because I've got so much more work to make this something that someone who, say, isn't mathematically inclined or isn't familiar with probability or something like that, that may not be comfortable adjusting tables. I want to get to a point where someone can take it and game. Um, but um, I think that the the adjustments may not be that hard. It's just I think depending on the game, you can get some really – you can be – like say I think Cthulhu of, of the games I know would be very challenging. I, I've got a lot of um, um, Shadowrun on my shelf, but I haven't tried that. So something like that, I don't know. Maybe Shadowrun has something with it that makes it work easier. Maybe something makes it work harder. But I'm hoping we can get it out there. And then those Shadowrun people say, hold on. I know how to adjust that. So, for yeah. example, one of the big adjustments we've made is um, one of the favorite games we love that I think is just a wonderful product is Star Wars Legion, mm -hmm. uh, which is just a tabletop game for Star Wars fans. But one of the things they found that you do is you draw out a, a tab and it tells you what type of unit you're allowed to activate. Basically, think of it like a light infantry, a scout type unit or something like that. It doesn't say take scout number one. You can just pick any scout. What we've done that to make it harder and more interesting is we've always done it so gaming often, uh, if you think about Pathfinder, it's everybody sets up an initiative and goes in a certain way. Other mm -hmm. games that are more conflictual have kind of I go, you go, I go, you go. But sometimes it's everything on my side goes, everything on your side goes. Some yeah. games it's everything on my side moves, everything on your side moves, every side, everything on my side attacks, everything. So there's different basic rule concepts of the game we have found that it was easier for example to have it go one for one because it allows for more flexibility and we can't plan as well on our side of the table mm -hmm. if they all go at once and they all make dipshit moves then you can get a re it gets out of proportion to the dipshittiness whereas yeah. if it's one unit at a time it doesn't seem quite as frayed so we have adjusted rules and of course most of these manufacturers say hey it's your game change what you need which is wonderful we have found that we always adopt it one way not because it's better it just adapts to our table 
because we want to have that. We really want to be as out of control as possible, so we have to fight harder to win the scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're you know there's a lot of work to do. Pathfinder is going to be a real hurdle to get over because you also have to think about like say uh, Pathfinder Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. You have feats. So yeah, you got a fighter who may swing with a sword, but is he swinging with power attack or not? Mm-hmm. Do you want to code every? I don't know. Do you really want to code everything, or is you know some good enough? And right now, it'll have to be some good enough only because we're early in the project. But that's mm-hmm. another question. How how focused do you need this to be to be worked? Does it need to be way well more focused than we're currently doing? So just even establishing play guidelines, I think even for different tables, they may want to change that up. Hey, you play with a 1.5 ratio. We only play with a 1.2 because we like to win more. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know? Hmm. So there's a lot of directions for this to go and develop and to make it really, really useful for uh, us and those who may come in handy or, or for those who are going to use it. But I think right now the hardest part is just making sure the code feels human and reasonable because, again, you can get we, we've seen a few units, you know, commanded by dipshit sergeants, mm-hmm. uh, and they've gone off charging across um, the board to to some fun. We've one of the things we did with uh, BattleTech rules is that those thorns like to try to get in behind you and hit you from behind. So they're always there's a lot of time they're being pressured to move to flank, mm-hmm. uh, and we found that good. But we found that there was almost a fractal uh, pattern to the way this kind of worked and that they would start off coming into attack and then so they're all charging into this one area and then they're almost all leaving on mass and then they all come back in again and it's not that that's going to happen every time but in that last game we did with that that's what happened but it was highly effective that uh, my guys won but it's what they call a, a pulling a chair out of your ass type game because you're just like my god if I stand up that chair is coming with me that was so close and, you know, the games were that tight. And even though you have this effect of this almost in and out that happened in that game just by the way the roles were going, it was highly effective against the human players. I mean, they were in that game on the last piece of the last round winning it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And that's yeah. cool when you're, you're sitting there cool. going, we almost got beat by paper. <laughs> we suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah, we're so dumb, the dice beat us. Yeah, okay. right, which is really, this is great. So we, we are seeing that it can have that. And like I say, we played one game with us and got slaughtered, played the next one and did really well. So um, I don't know if I'd say there are kinks. We, it, it's hard to know that. I can't scientifically say there are kinks because I haven't played enough to gather data and say, yeah, there's something wrong in the code or no, this is just, you know, one-off, this kind of thing. Um, so there's still some testing going. But, hey, this is the cool part. I'm sitting around and testing by playing games a bunch. Mm-hmm. I can think of worse things to do as a hobby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit, we got to play that again. Damn, I really liked that the last time. I guess we'll have to do that again. So <laughs> it's really fun as a gamer to just sit there and try this out. And uh, and again, I think a lot of gamers um, that I've ever encountered, humor has always been a, a core piece of it. And seeing the idiosyncrasies sometimes come out in their weird ways is fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I think seeing a goblin, you know, wizard on the board and seeing its actions are going to be a riot. Right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, unless he's really good and beats us. That'll suck. First time we get a total party kill by paper. I, I don't think I'm going to have many friends left. <laughs> well, it, well as, as someone who's jammed my fair amount of times, I've had, you know, party, I've had um, NPCs act pretty much randomly and nearly kill the party more than a few times. <laughs> mm. Right, exactly. 
Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of movement for this. I mean, we do it into the game to a point. Like, if you think about you have random treasure tables, you have random encounter tables. So mm -hmm. to a point, it's built into the psyche of the game. It is, yeah. Yeah, so it's not a hard sell, I think, for a lot of gamers. Like, hey, I can live with that. I think the hard part is trusting you're getting a, a reasonable response for the things on the table. Um, I just think that the hard part will be developing that flavor enough to feel like, yeah, that felt like my DM and the way he does it with goblins. Can we capture that in the writing? I think that would be really cool. Hmm. You know. Yes. P yeah, picture, that. picture, picture ten goblins and an ogre, and you've got a party of five people, and uh, there's almost a, a little bit of excitement I get when I think about what I roll could be really dangerous for my party. <laughs> You know, like, that's really cool sitting there going, oh, God, what's going to happen? Whereas even when I'm playing as a DM, I mean, my players will tell you I'm horrible, but they don't know what's coming. Or I should say they have some sense of what's coming. They know with a goblin, wizard, I'm not going to have him charge up. He's not going to be that ridiculous. But mm. you can't predict that, and that actually puts an unbalancing factor in the game that you hadn't had before with a static DM because, of course, I'm going to fall into my old traps and standard yeah. ways of doing stuff. This doesn't allow you to ever get comfortable would be a good way to put it because huh. you don't know what's coming down the pipe. And if you don't like it and you want to be more deadly, you just say, okay, we're going to change this so that as opposed to attack, objective, defend, it only has attack and defend. Um, mm -hmm. So you can change up your awesomes to make things more aggressive if that's the way you really want to do that or not. You know, you can mm -hmm. have... Um, uh, multiple tables. You can have a goblin one table and a goblin two table if you want. So that way you're not having everybody acting off the same way. And you can have, you know, uh, you could change that to goblins in their um, uh, own village versus goblins on a, a warpath. And I think over time as a community project, if you did that, that's where you can really boil down and get more and more and more nuance. And to a point that maybe all you do in an app is select goblin. Uh, what we call at our table when we do this is their stance. You know, are they aggressive? Mm -hmm. Are they moving to cover first? Do they want to attack at long range? Um, in battle tech, they keep <laughs> the thorns keep wanting to move at their maximum fire range, but behind you. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly turning. You could change that so they just charge in and stand right in front of you. But in this case, the way we have it on the algorithm, they keep trying to get behind you and literally right in your back arc. And it keeps staying at their maximum. So you're constantly moving trying to adjust to this. But you could change that to uh, they're guarding a train. So on the, the more defensive side, this is a defensive template that you're putting on it. So you can put on a whole bunch of levels. You can have your dipshit defensive veteran Mm -hmm. One mm -hmm. a blind in one eye, um, and went to a really shitty college in BC, and here's your template for that creature. <laughs> right. Yeah, you could have leader templates. Or, right. Uh... Exactly. Or a minion style template. So mm -hmm. you can make. So uh, trying to understand where we're going to go with how much tabling to do and what the table that's still a that we're still out on that. I think until we start writing the actual. Your wizard, your cleric. I mean, think about a druid, what that's going to be like to try it. I mean, oh my god. I, it could be shape-changing. In, in Pathfinder, they have ed, possible animal companions. They have magic. They may not be able to talk if they've shape-changed. So if you have a shape-change, is it going to be able to cast spells and it has a long spell, spell suite because that wasn't so good? Or what if it changes and it has limited abilities and it changes into it and then changes right back out? You know, mm -hmm. so you can get you can get some oddities, but we're gonna have to see how that goes and and try to understand how 
monsters, classes, situations can all get coded in. Could that be in one code? Could it be in layers like we've talked about, like the dipshit layer? Or does this get embedded somehow? Is that the better way to do it? So there's even ways of thinking about how you're going to write the algorithm for this is actually going to take a little bit of thought as well. Yeah. Now, have you ever had the system fight itself? Wow. Um, so that came up this week is Uh-oh. to see what it could. Now, that's kind of interesting because at some point you have to ask yourself on a, on a psychological level, why are you watching a group of miniatures on a table uh, fight by themselves? Why are you there? And I think some people are going to start having nightmares because they start wondering, oh, my God, are they out there playing when I'm not looking? Uh, you're going to get toy, toy Story-type nightmares everywhere. We have not tested that, but I think that would be a riot, a real mm. riot. And, of course, we've even talked about let's try something crazy. Let's put some Star Wars Legion on one side of the table, put some dust on the other. Let's just see what these idiots do with each other. Um, you know, you could be watching your own private version of Airplane or Kung Pao or something as the two <laughs> two sides fight. Um, mm. And, you know, there's so for example, there's another game. There's another one uh, that's uh, really heavy. Uh, it's called Test of Honor, and that's much more samurai-based. And you've got Honor. How do you code for Honor in a game? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's going to be really an interesting thing to do is how do you – wow, that's going to be really neat. Or think about naval battles. So Pathfinder created a, a great um, uh, group of adventures called Skulls and Shackles. You've got creatures on water. Maybe the creature or, you know, that NPC wants to dive in the water – um, and fire off spells from there. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> There's going to be some really tricky stuff. Or you could have them, you know, standing in the boat casting fire spells when they're an aquatic creature because you're getting dumb rolls. Um, how do you know which, which level spell to cast? Mm-hmm. How do you make a choice? So some of the things we've looked at on our tables would be things like, yes, you may have a caster, and it doesn't say cast magic missile. It may be cast most, pa- most powerful offensive spell. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be too detailed, and or you could be more if you wanted. Um, yeah. So there's an awful, so much to think about at this early stage, and so it'd be great to get feedback, and we're hoping people will uh, say, "Hey, I've got ideas. How do we get a hold of you? How do we do this? How do we? How do I get a hold of your documents? Because I'm more than willing to say, take them. The only things we've been asking people is, could you just say it was some people in Nova Scotia who came up with it? Just give us a little <laughs> credit here on the East Coast, would you? Um, you know, Alberta doesn't need everything. Just just give us some credit for some AI rules. Um, well, you know, uh, sorry, Ontario is what hogs everything, not Alberta. But the that's point true. Is, <laughs> sorry. Um, have you actually considered just setting up like um, like a, you know, a forum or something like that, a web page forum, and then just maybe it has a companion blog or something to go with it. And you're basically using that to distribute and discuss and work on this and make it available to the public. I mean, if our listeners actually want to help you with this project, how could they do it? Yeah, or in, in another way, just to say, because I want to make sure that this commitment's out there, or even take it and just develop it, something from it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, not, we're not there yet. I'll be honest, um, talking to you guys has been really validating because, you know, when I'm doing this, I'm doing this because I have a group of players I care about. I like gaming with my family. It's a way with me. My wife's also a gamer. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you imagine a, a hot, sexy, and a gamer, right? Like, <laughs> Talk about winning the lottery. Um, yeah, it is. yeah, oh yeah, and she thinks I'm hot, so uh, that's that's even better. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, sitting down with say the three of us, and we want to be on one side of the table. How could we do that? Right. How do we how we put it on this one side of the table? So, if I can get it out to people who can do that, that's what I want. I want them to be able to say, "Hey, that's great that someone came up with this. Hey, that was a novel idea. I've had something like that." 
can I take that and develop that for my family? So I'm happy for people to do that. But I wasn't sure that someone outside of my personal circle would be interested. So talking to you guys is actually been really validating and really gives me some more drive to continue it. I have to admit I really enjoy doing it. But it's mm. nice to think, oh, you know what? Well, maybe someone does. So I haven't gotten to the point of even believing yet that maybe other people would be interested. So to be honest, I, I think I'm still looking for feedback on how I could get this early project out to public hands. I haven't given it much thought because I guess I haven't given it um, a well, lot of value you, yet. You would basically doing. need to put together you know, rough versions, like PDFs yeah. of like the rough version or something like that, right. and set up a web page of some kind or anything like that. I was thinking a forum just because um, that way you, people can have discussions about it and dis exactly. you know, not just because the problem with a blog, of course, is, is that they're limited to discussing things based around, well, here's the release and it would just be the comment section of the blog, right? Exactly. Whereas a yep. forum, you can have different areas and different groups. I mean, yeah. And, and I think that's what you need. You need a group of people putting their mind to it. And again, not that this should ever come out one way, but even if the source material, if I can call it that, is there for working groups to work on. Maybe someone takes this and runs with it and can produce a great product that they end up selling or something. That's great. I'm cool. Maybe I'll get a, a, a forward. A, a great. That would be all I'd be looking for. But um, I think right now that's what we need is we would need to have a way for people to be able to say, hey, cool idea. I got another one. Well, have you yeah, considered? Yeah. You know, Because that's what and, we need. But you need kind of proof of concept. People need to be able to see it and see exactly. what you've done. So yep. I think the first stage is basically taking some of your rule sets you worked out, putting them in a format that people can actually look at, and then putting them up, like I said, as PDFs or something like that on some web space. And then basically, then you can go on Reddit and you can basically say in the Reddit gaming group, hey, here's what I've been doing. Anyone have some thoughts about this? And then watch things explode from there. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're 100% right. I think that's exactly where to go with it. The only trepidation that comes to mind is, to me, this is a really positive thing. And, of course, putting it out in the public domain, we all know how that can turn mm -hmm. negative. Um, so, On the um, Internet? Oh. Yeah, exactly. What? Not that I'm predicting that would happen. That wouldn't be my point. But, uh, um, yeah, I think having some way of doing that where we can have some moderation around it, keep keep it moving forward, I think could be really neat. A little bit maybe away from it yet. I don't know. Right now, like, I, I try to make sure, you know, it's properly edited in capitals where we need them and, you know, bolds to make things stick out. Um, mm -hmm. It's still early stages, but I think you're right. I think we're getting close. If we had that, I'm not sure. When I talk to people in game shops and comic shops, they're like, wow, that's cool. You know, you get that, hey, I could use that. You know, like Friday night, I wanted a game and couldn't get some people together. That would have been cool mm -hmm. to be able to pick up a module and just put that down and try that out, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah, I guess those are good points. I'll have to find a way to connect to that. Because my first thing was just, is this something someone's going to want? Is this something that other people than me really have value for? And so, you know, I'm still searching. You know, when I talk to my friends like Jack Ward, who's, a, who's into gaming and stuff like that as well, people say, yeah, mm -hmm. that'd be cool. Because small groups, it'd be cool to be able to do a co-op if we don't want to do, there's only three of us and damning's a little awkward on the two of us. It'd be cool. You know, the co-op gaming for us, we have found a very uniquely positive experience because, you know, if your unit gets blow, blown up or if you have a character drop, you're like, oh, you know, you're all feeling that as we're having that one DM going, yes, I finally <laughs> killed one of you fuckers, you know. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, it doesn't feel so personal. And, yeah. Um, I, well, I think the thing you need to focus on first, of course, is for the tabletop. Because yep. it sounds like that's where you're the most advanced so far. Yep. And also, I think that's where you're going to find your biggest demand. For sure. I don't think you're going to find quite as big demand initially anyway with with Pathfinder and role-playing. I mean, that's something to work towards. But 
I'm sure there's a ton of tabletop gamers who would absolutely love to have this kind of thing available. Yeah, well, you know, there are game, and again, I, I know you guys know a little more of this because, um, you know, like any gamer, you dabble, but I, I haven't hit a lot. But there are games that are don't that don't have a GM. So in a yeah. sense, we're really starting to bridge just over to that zone where people have been working for a while as well. This is just a way of taking a game system that wasn't designed that way and being able to do that. And some games now, like I say, are coming thought that way. So another tabletop game that's been really cool for this is is uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, it's called All Out War is the actual name of the product. And in there, you can play totally co-op and they have it developed with some cards that are marked solo and the zombies play by a draw of a card and so that's another option here is maybe you have a set of cards and you draw from so that could be just for the round or maybe in a sense of like what you were talking about with the dipshit uh, one which you can tell I'm just totally enamored with <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. um, is maybe you have a card for how dipshits work and so you, this could also be married with a cue card system if you weren't talking about a tech base which I agree tech is probably where um, uh, people go. are, yeah, are going to want it. But I think it could really help on a tabletop experience because I think that's happening in gaming because the co-op idea, I know in video gaming that I do with my friends, by far our favorite experience is co-op. Like when we're playing, say, uh, Ark uh, Survival, it's great to be building common pieces and trying to survive against the world. And I think that if you think about what role-playing is it in, it's a common experience, right? Even with the DM, as much as you hate them. In the end, we're doing something together. Mm -hmm. So the co-op experience is technically already there. I think that even for something as complex as Pathfinder, you the, the co-op genetics is there. We just got to say, hey, small groups or you know what? The, other things like, for example, maybe you love your group, but you just want to have a campaign on your own. Maybe you want to play five characters because mm -hmm. you just got a whole bunch of concepts. Like, I could see me doing that. I love my players. They are awesome players. But sometimes it's cool to just try, check out a character concept and you can pick up a module and run your own character concept. So there's another part to this that also, I mean, I, we've, we've never explored. And that is, is this a way for people who write modules to test out their own systems without having it play tested, maybe? Yep, that's mm -hmm. true. Yeah, so this can take all kinds of wild places. It's just the part, the hard part of the whole project is it's a lot of grunt work. You've got to sit down, run out numbers, find out that works, look at it and go, God, that does, you know, in my case, say if I'm doing a D100, you're sitting there going, God, that doesn't even add up to 100. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> um, you know, so um, I think the hard part for a lot of people is getting the grunt work down. Um, and it kind of, as you mentioned, to get this to a point where there's at least enough of a nugget, you can take it and go, Yep, that works. I want to spend some time modifying it. You have to have um, a certain core done. You got to hit a critical mass, and then it's useful. I don't mm -hmm. think I'm there yet. Um, and I, there's there's also complexity levels I'd like to test. And you know, being trained in mathematics means there's a process that I'm familiar with as a scientist. And one of the things I want to do is slowly work up. So things I've been working with right now are more basic units. I haven't put in things like, for example, aircraft. Why would that be important? That's important because if you're talking about a dragging in Pathfinder or a Wyvern, it flies. So that's really going to take a little bit more thought than just people, if you're using miniatures and running along uh, your squares or hexes, you've got to think, how does flight work? So there's you know, a lot of little nuances like that. So um, I don't know that I'm at a core point yet, but I'm having fun building up to it. Hmm. Yeah, I would say if you were, if you were looking to get more input, to yeah, put some kind of website up and put the games you've played using uh, using these mechanics up 
because what you're kind of starting to bump up against with with the idea of expanding it, it, it seems, because doing like a like a tabletop war game like BattleTech, the parameters are v- like con- con- conceptually limited. Like you're not going to say I'm going to run away and start a hot dog stand. It, it, it's not <laughs> it's not there. A game a game like Pathfinder, um, it's more adventure oriented. So there's yep. still a certain structure of outcome inherent when you get to different games uh you have to start monkeying with it because there's a lot more like if you're doing shadow and like i can i'm I'm gonna give up adventuring i'm not gonna be a crook i'm gonna go legit i'm gonna work at a fast food place you could actually run that right It's it's a potential but when you're looking at trying to simulate uh what a participant what an active human participant would do you're starting to bump up into that idea of what exactly is a game? What is this game? Um, what's the the themes where you were saying before the idea of um, like a player or a game master can inject humor and surprise? Well, that gets into like the psychology of gaming. And that's where I think uh, something like this, it's it's overall valuable to the hobby because it's forcing participants to look at it a different way and we don't know what will come out of that we don't know what we'll discover about gaming in general right and i think you're 100 percent right uh conversations we've ended up having around our table have become very philosophical what does it mean to be a game what does it mean to be a game what is it we want out of the game so for example hmm. uh even at our table we have a disagree uh, disagreement over how much talking should take place half of us is kind of like we show up and we game while we're here we're here to hang out. Gaming is just the vehicle. But for other people, hey, let's really focus on the table. I want to get through content today. So how, how does that work with the rules? Does it, would it be uncomfortable because it goes too fast and you don't have that time to enjoy the battle and, and have a laugh at the sword you know, going mm-hmm. flying? Is Would we find out that if you don't have – if you have a write a, a AI code for a barbarian, if you don't have as a possibility he can smash – the table over someone's head. Maybe the game. Maybe this doesn't work. So there are things that there are people would have for exp- every group's very different. Right? You have some people LARP. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, to me, LARPing is way outside my frame of reference. Like I can't imagine LARPing. But how would that work with gaming? That wouldn't. This would. This would actually maybe detract from the game. So I think trying to understand what is the game. How, how do you do that? If you're playing uh, Star Trek, um, uh, like fleet battles. Can you do this with AI, or does that is that just not the game? Is the game going to be more about the people? I think that will answer. This will, for me, and ask. I don't know if it'll answer, but at least ask some really interesting questions about what it means to sit down at that table and have fun with those faces that I'm seeing. Is there something in the code that just doesn't marry over? So far, it's been fun, but where we've had the fun has come from that co-op experience that really drove things. That was new. It wasn't the rolling. It wasn't what units did. It wasn't what that mech did. But when you're sitting there seeing that together, it felt like when you're playing any RPG and you're crafting that story uh, and you have some fun. I think of a moment, uh, one of our most favorite moments ever in our, our table 
uh, was a fellow created a bard, and he creates the most amazing characters. And this bard is meant to persuade people. It's his whole point. He's the king of their country, and they had go to this competition, and they, he's trying to win to get pride for their country. And you got to picture this is a guy who's really done his homework on this character, and he goes up on stage, and for his performance check rolls a one, which we declare as critical failures. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, the table is losing it, and as the DM, I've got to come up with what does that mean. So what I said was he started vomiting because they were drinking the night before, and unfortunately, the hangover is catching with him while he's talking to thousands of people on the stage in an oration contest. Well, for part two, he rolls a one again. <laughs> so now we're killing ourselves. So I said, well, it turns out now you're shitting yourself as well. So you're just firing at both ends. This is not that that is not going to get captured in these rules. <laughs> Right. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it depends on how people write them. But the magic of having one of my best friend's characters puking and shitting on stage was magical. I would that trade happens. my son for another moment like that. <laughs> right? So, uh, and if listeners have Your money, he, I, I, we can talk price for, about him. But that's hard, that's hard to capture in a table. But mm-hmm. uh, now there's the interesting question. Can it, though? Could you have that? Maybe that's in the random table for barbarians. Uh, take potion and 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 throw it at enemy. You know, you could just have grab, insert blank, throw at, insert blank. So again, you can have fun with these tables, and maybe they don't have to be. Maybe someone sees something in this that they don't need the whole kit and caboodle for too. We haven't thought about. Maybe someone just needs a table for. Uh, playing out one particular character, and that's all they'll ever need. Maybe you have a guy that's mm-hmm. out, you want to use this to AI your friend's character. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Yep, yep, that could definitely that's, work. Yeah, it sounds like great punishment for someone who doesn't show up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're, you on, you're getting the dipshit the template. <laughs> wow. See, that, that again is, I think, a, a universal consideration because when you talk about this will show you for not showing up, uh, when we did Warhammer roleplay, we had a chart there was one for if you the players were in town or if they were in the wilderness. If you didn't show up, when you did show up, you had to roll in this chart to see what horrible thing happened to your character. <laughs> <while you're gone. laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. That's, yeah, exactly. So this is just that writ large in a sense, except for mm-hmm. you're just saying, hey, I don't want to know what this decision is. I don't want to be controlled for it because I don't want to be able to plan for it. And that, I think, by the way, in the end is why it will work to a point depending i mean you can have high low expectations for this but the the best the, the best part about it is that in the end you can't predict what's going to happen so you just can't have your fighter go close the door cuz the goblin came in the goddamn window mm-hmm. or he cast a mention door because you know that's what the table said or he, it turns out he backed off and went back in the room he was in cuz he got a retreat roll rather than attack roll and the guy's running backwards and you you've got some Benny Hill scenario cue and clown music trying to chase a goblin you didn't expect to and oh look now he's coming back and attacking us so you know, to a point, just not knowing what's going to happen can create mm-hmm. enough mayhem and fun for you to have a really good time. I, I can see that. Now, did you take like morale and damage into account in these tables? Yeah. So, in some of the tables, they have become they have a diff- varying levels of complexity depending on what it is I'm experimenting on at the time. So, for example, we talked in BattleTech what to happen what to happen if uh, you're over a certain amount of heat the mech will start reacting certain ways. But mm-hmm. then there are certain things that if you have a unit has taken so much damage, it may, for example, enact what I would call the berserker section of a table. So you may have, let's say it's two columns. 
the first column is your standard rolls. Everything's going fine. But this one, once it's below half health, it takes it takes on like a berserker type template. It becomes much more aggressive. It eschews um, uh, nuanced fine action and is looking for big hits and it's looking for what's close. Um, so, yeah, there's just lots of ways to go about that. So you can change up mm. the creature to not have a single template, but a uh, template based on current situation, whether that be hit points, charges in a wand, however you really want to do that. Um, and again, do you write it into a creature? Do you just write a template for wand-carrying wizard and you can put that with your character? Maybe it's just a small table that if they have a wand, you have on your table uh, uh, employee equipment and what comes up on the table is wand and here's a little sub-table. So you can embed tables within tables within tables. And again, on a tech level, that's real easy. A little bit mm. harder to do on paper because you're dealing with two-dimensional um, organization, whereas you're dealing with abstract organization to a point in a computer. I mean, yes, you have the, the algorithm you're writing, but I mean, you can envision as complex as you like. Right. Um, they're a little bit easier. Um, yeah. No, I was just thinking, this, this is just, I'm just tossing this out there because this is something that occurred to me, is what you could do is you could set it up so that Let's say the higher end of the table is more aggressive, okay? And the lower exactly. end, you have a char basically you have a range. And the lower end of the table, lower end is passive to the point where, you know, all-out attack is at the top and retreat is at the bottom, okay? Yep. And then depending on the aggressiveness of something or their hit point situation, there'll be a modifier to the dice roll that will push it towards down or push it towards up. Exactly. And you could have a staggered table. So you could have, say, one to ten three times. Yeah. Depending on where it's at, we'll push it just down on which one of those three tables you're doing. So you've got actually now an embedded tree of three choices. And yeah. within there, maybe there's a D6 worth of choices in each one. But those will be really are going to be based on the hit points of that creature. So yeah. you could have, like I say, it gets more berserk. You could have it yes. hones down. It starts to focus. If you think about, um, I don't know, a caval uh, or an archer who, as he takes hits, becomes much more of a sniper. Is really going to start deploying feats that do it that way. So, yeah, you can really create a lot of flavor. And then that flavor can change moment to moment based on how you want the table to be run. Which is cool, yeah. Yeah, that is very cool. Okay, yep, that would definitely work. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Uh, there's hard, you know, there's some things that are I don't know that you ever can, like for example, dismounting at a vehicle. What we do is we do things like let's say you had infantry mounted in a vehicle, or let's say for Pathfinder or Dungeons Dragons you had creatures in a wagon. Well, we if it says attack, if it makes sense to get out, we just would have them get out. So we don't play with the AI being completely slave to the table. Right. At some point, we have to say it wouldn't be reasonable. Let's not do that. And again, it's the it's the first and last law of gaming. If you're not having fun, then it's not that. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. The only big question that comes out of all this in terms of where to do it is copyright. And my worry is is that. Even though I could be helping these very companies sell their product and I'm not getting anything, is this something that someone who does, um, say, Fantasy Flight, who does Star Wars Legion, might be uncomfortable doing? And I wouldn't want any company feeling like I'm trying to take away any of their mojo. Quite the opposite. I'm trying to help people enjoy your product more. So that's one of the other things I would say I have to be cautious about because I don't – this isn't about fear of legalities. It's just, hey, these companies make a product I love. Why? What interest would I have in hurting them? As a matter of fact, I'm trying to help you out to see if we can get more people playing these, including me and my family. Why um, don't but you just make it Creative Commons? Make it – sorry, what? Create, you, do you know about Creative Commons? I, I don't. Oh, okay. You need to go look that up. Okay. Creative Commons is basically an alternate – 
copyright system they came up with for the internet. It's an alter, alternate open source copyright system. Wonderful. And um, you can do things like, for example, there are different Creative Commons licenses. Like, for example, some of them you say, okay, you can do anything with this, but you have to give me credit. Or you can do anything with this, but whatever you do with this has to also be free. Like, or you have to let other people do stuff with it. I think this is actually a very good opportunity for a Creative Commons product, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah, re- it really Creative does. Commons. Yeah, it yeah. sounds perfect. It sounds re- like what you're describing, I think, is bang on for this type of product. However, I'm not against those companies if someone's seen this and say, hey, we, we approve of this. That's good. Keep going because you're not changing the rules. You're not doing anything with it. I don't know if that would interfere anyways, but I'm hoping this gets seen as, no, no, this is an attempt for people to get more product on tables. This is what this does. This, this wouldn't detract from anybody. This just makes the gaming even more rich. This oh, yeah, is, no, uh, no. Go, go look up Creative Commons because yeah. that's exactly what you're talking about. And Perfect. And have been using it for like a decade or so. Wow, awesome. More than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those internet things that you only encounter if you're uh, an internet creative, which means you're, you know, your art, photography, writing, that kind of thing. You'll encounter it if you're doing that. Right. And you know, you know what you made me think about there is think about – so I'm the same way. I started gaming back in the 80s. Imagine about this idea in the 80s. First of all, if you told mm-hmm. me you'd have plastic miniatures you could put down to represent your characters, I'd have shit my pants. <laughs> That would have been – what? There's more yeah, than one color ones. of dice? They don't come in just yellow? That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to color them in. So I, if you think about where gaming has moved, it's really quite inspiring. You know, like um, um, we've been really grateful that you ha- you guys have helped out by allowing us to call our – what we used to call our geeks and nerds club, call it our Department of Nerdly Affairs at school because uh, mm-hmm. we've really appreciated what you guys have done and that you know that connectivity in the gaming world I think is also really good too because it's like everything that happens with with connectivity there's the, the explosion of ideas which is really I'm just on the edge of some guy who's got an idea from something else but this is what's happening in gaming is we're getting people who love these like this is something that is beyond like really truly a passion of mine. I really like gaming I think it it's healthy. I think it. You know, we could mm-hmm. probably talk for hours and hours and hours about the countless benefits of this. But, but the idea that we can share together and build more on it is even better. I mean, I just feel like this is such a great time to be a gamer. There's so much mm-hmm. out there. There's so much mm-hmm. happening. It's awesome. And that's why there's a kind of renaissance and explosion of it going on right now. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I mean, going by a gaming store um, is just. It's such a, you know, like, you can't go, I mean, you, you never could just go in for two minutes, but I mean, it's just most gaming stores or hobby stores, comic book stores now are carrying so much fun stuff, so mm-hmm. much fun stuff, and the crossovers that are happening between, say, comic books and role-playing games, and in this case, in terms of app development to make uh, a game um, for um, uh, Battletech, one of the things that we found was an app that helps you calculate your hit roll. Right. Awesome mm-hmm. for new players. Um, mm-hmm. One of our guys really loves it. He keeps that app on the table and keeps his phone there and just puts it in real quick to double check our uh, mental math, which is awesome, right? Like that's a real benefit to it. But someone took the time to do that. Or Star Wars Legion, there's um, an app someone's got out for free that just helps catalog up the points for the army and put on which different things you want so you don't have to write that up on paper anymore. Or you mm-hmm. think about all the character um, sheets, uh, digital character sheet stuff that's out there. It's just such a cool time to be a gamer with all the things that are happening. Like I think about my son, uh, I feel like it's the you know the gaming equivalent of I walk to school both ways uphill in snow. 
Um, right. Because I, you know, he goes out back with thousands of miniatures. We got out there, hundreds and hundreds of books, and he's like, eh, that's <laughs> you know, eh, not bad. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. This is your inheritance. You better fucking like it. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, so it's just it's so cool. Uh, all the board games that are coming out, what they're doing with tabletop gaming. I mean, uh, even if you just take Warhammer, just as you know, a, a big industry leader, they've done so much cool stuff with their product in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, you have small squad based game. You had big one. Uh, uh, Pathfinder uh, did things where you had uh, rules that made you almost demigod like and things like. There's just the it's a boon of ideas. Uh, 3D printing is making miniatures and and terrain like the terrain that we put on a table. One of the questions we had early on when we were gaming is, as we put this stuff down on the table, does it take away from our imagination and the love of the game? Do you really enjoy it? And as we put it down, you know, the trees and the rocks and the hedges and this, you know, buildings with doors that open and multiple levels and things like that, we found out it's not that we weren't imagining, but we could spend our time imagining other things. Mm. And so there's so much movement in the game industry to just be so inclusive, like even characters that just aren't white or just male, that just aren't heterosexual. Um, Mm. uh, One of our gamers um, is... um, um, transgender transsexual and and is a lesbian and characters like that are representative like there's so much positive stuff that just makes this like I don't want to go to work tomorrow now after talking to you guys I just want to <laughs> stay home write some uh, AI rules for dumb goblins and wizards and see what happens right so if I don't go to work I'm just saying any kid who fails the next math test that's on you guys now right right, right. well everyone needs a hobby and it sounds like this is yours or I should say <laughs> Obsession is more like the term than hobby. Well, you know, gaming allows you to get outside yourself, explore ideas. Mm-hmm. As a guy who loves both reading and numbers, role-playing games and, and tabletop gaming combines everything I love. You've got friends and family around. It's it's a hell of a nice way to spend the time. Oh, yeah, it is, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, and with the changes, it's it's so cool. Um, um, you know, seen on Steam over the last few years, uh, things to digitally put Put people together. We had a, a friend who lived out in Calgary, and, and like I say, we're here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And he would use a camera which he controlled, which we put on the roof of the lodge or ceiling of the lodge. And he could move that and say, Hey, move me three squares forward. Uh, I'm going to draw my daggers, move action. And we're doing this and playing, and he can see and do that. So here's a friend that we might have lost contact with, but instead we stayed so tight with because of the way gaming is changing and growing and modifying. And then when he moved back home in Nova Scotia, he just plugged right back in. So we got to keep a friend because of the way gaming's changing. Yeah, I think. Cool. You know, I... He's ugly, but he's a nice guy. <laughs> so in the end, it turned out to be worth it. Well, it's worth it most days. I'll go there. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Don, what did you think? Well, it's, I, I, I think you're right. And it's, it's when you go back to the earliest days of gaming, like the late 70s, early 80s, the image of a gamer was this like antisocial like you're you're like like yeah like goblins that gathered in somebody's basement and did these right. arcane rituals but it really is is it as a hobby especially thanks to things like the internet and that it's the exact opposite because while you were talking i was thinking um i just got a shipment of like miniatures from russia uh, my game shelf i've got games like from japan i'm waiting for the english translation of a right. game from italy i i interact with people all over the planet about this it really is kind of the opposite that it that gaming instead of 
ostracizing you and making people think you're a little weirdo, it opens up literally the world to you nowadays. Sure. And it, it, I think a couple of things that did this for us that helps and allows us to do things like this and have these conversations was things like, for example, the movie Lord of the Rings, which really is mm-hmm. where D&D kind of, you know, takes a lot of inspiration from. That just showed people, see, that's what we do all the time. That's what we do every weekend. How cool is mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and I think shows like The Big Bang Theory, where you have D&D episodes, or like, for example, the IT crowd, uh, mm-hmm. Voltron, just, you know, these, it, it shows that, hey, this is what people having fun do. This is, and I think Video gaming, which is huge in the in the fantasy genre, allows that that social in and the way video games was something. Also, kids who did video game, if you think about it, weren't the athletes, and that was a bit of a thing in the eighties, and that modified, and now it's what your dad does. And I think <laughs> you you know, there's no reason why gaming couldn't change that way. I think the thing that works against the pen and paper stuff is just technology tends to make it easier, quicker, less to learn. Uh, when you can click a button and an algorithm is decide takes care of the rule for you, but at the same way, I I, I still think there's a role for us. I don't. Uh, let me put it a different way. I don't think uh, gaming is getting smaller, right? It's yeah. getting bigger, and I I think that's going to continue for a long time in really positive directions. Yeah, I think it's getting more spread out. I mean, getting mm. bigger, I think, is a bit of a jump. And I say that mm. you know, remember in. in Speaking of the early 80s D&D, remember there was a time when everybody and their brother and their cousin did actually try out D&D. Like there was a time it was a social force. And I don't think it's quite at that same level. It's weird that it's not at that level, but in a weird way, almost everyone knows about it now. Again, once Mm -hmm. again, you know, the young generation all know about it, but very few of them have actually tried it. Yeah. I I guess that's my point. Yeah, I I think you might be. I think you're right there. I know what's really been great for us is we actually have as a part of our, uh, what we call our DNA group, our uh, Department of Early Affairs in yes. our building, um, we have a, a solid uh, D&D group in there, which is really cool. Yep. And actually, our one of our school committees just saw fit um, to purchase uh, a pair of fifth edition books for the club. Well, that's fantastic. I, I, I can't imagine in the 80s thinking of someone saying, hey, we're going to put money towards Sons and Dragons for kids. The irony being as an educator, can you think of anything that's better for, for learning than, than a role-playing game, right? I mean, it, uh, where else can you do math and read and have fun, right? You know? mm-hmm. Well, uh, I passed math because of gaming. There's no question on that <laughs> because, because as I finally fun say, you see, I was a champions gamer, you know, hero yep. system. Yeah, Uh-oh. absolutely. Yep. Or, or, and uh, so, so math is just... That's the game. Literally, it's it's like the most mathematical game <laughs> that you're gonna find out there. Yeah, yeah. Some games are a little heavy on the math. There's, there's. I, I, I take a lot of pride in saying that there's days where we're sitting around our table and our group's like, "That's eh, good. You've got a degree in math. That's pretty handy right now." Not that the <laughs> yeah. game should get that way, but you know, every now and then that's pretty nice. Or uh, someone who speaks a language is coming up and you're like, "Oh, thank God you're here today." So there's always those little idiosyncrasies that can make the game a little bit more odd. Um, and I think that's also, of course, one of the things that holds it back is is the the numerics of it. Hopefully, mm. in the AI rules, the way I've got it established thus far is that it's it's not you know there's no math. You're rolling a die and and finding yeah. out what you, hey you've rolled a two, so that's going to be standard battle against the short edge on this scenario table or whatever and things. So mm-hmm. at least in that regard, it, the complexity level for understanding it's real low compared to some of the games themselves. We're like I think as a traveler, you can die during character oh. creation, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yes, you can. Yeah, so we're not. We don't. Have, there's nothing that bad in here. This is this is pretty light compared to that. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, definitely. But yeah, no, I think we are in a great new age of gaming, and hopefully it will continue. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully this is just a part of that, that this is just one of those things that comes up. It's just say, hey, someone says, how can we do this more solo? How can we get that in? And it's not mm-hmm. like there have been solo adventures forever and things like that. It's just like, say, the, uh, the benefit to this is you can take something that wasn't meant to be solo and totally mm-hmm. do that. You can sit oh, down on a yeah. Friday night or uh, – and I don't mean this way it sounds to get too high and mighty here. But like if you think about it, if someone enjoys a beer while they're playing, hey, you know what? You're not driving somewhere to do that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Sure. You know, we're in our country now with legalized marijuana. Excellent. You can stay home, do what you do, and roll some dice, and you don't have to worry about a friend coming over that maybe shouldn't, or roads are bad, you know, those kind of things. So yeah. the, the development mm-hmm. of gaming only allows more of us to game and, and more diverse people to game, and that's awesome because it means we get to game with more diverse people, and we get to have more fun, and we have more players' characters to kill as DMs. Hey, that's exactly right. right? And we've got to I... feed the grinder. That's what it's about. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely about grinding. The, it's the meat grinder. No question on that. So I think we better bring this to a close then. I think we've covered most of what we wanted to do for tonight. Don, sure. did you have any other thoughts, any, any other questions you had for books? The only thing I, that, that I would say is, yeah, when you mentioned um, ex- putting this out in, in the world and letting other people play, yep. I think that's a great idea. Because, again, I think I've seen a lot of other attempts over the years at solo gaming. But they've always been very focused on um, setting up the event, but not how the event plays out. And that looks like where you're going. And again, I think um, with with more experience, and even if you add different games, if you try to adapt this to, to different, totally different game systems, I think you're going to start bumping into a lot of stuff about gaming in general that nobody's given any thought to before. Mm. Maybe it's not significant thought. Yeah, or or they may have just not crossed because if you if you if you played a lot of Pathfinder but haven't played a lot of tabletop, it's just a, it's just not something you're familiar with, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, and so one of the parts I'm doing right now is I ha- I am testing this. So as you heard, like we've got uh, BattleTech on the go, I've got Dust on the go, uh, Walking Dead already has us to a point, but we've modified some of the Walking Dead to give. Uh, how we get loot, for example. Uh, we've just got a random table. Now, the the zombies ask the way they do because the game's already got that, but we mm-hmm. still added in another uh, table, if you will, as opposed to an mm-hmm. algorithm. Right. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely some room for this to be developed by looking at multiple games at once. And so far, that's been my test module because it can test some of the uh, premises I set out for the game. Like, for example, um, you may have that a lot of options is good, but when you test that, that could mean that there's a, because there's a wider range of behavior possibly that the unit or the creature may act more erratically. So mm-hmm. trying to find that balance by doing multiple games can be really handy because you can see how different games, because no two games are alike, even if they're similar, mm-hmm. they all have a nuance and that nuance can tell you something about the AI that I'm writing and saying, hey, it's missing this piece. Yeah, hmm. yeah, definitely. And you'll find those little bits of behavior that you just didn't think of before. Completely, right? Like, um, you know, what happens if you have multiple characters trying to occupy the same spot because the AI has driven them to the similar pieces? How are you going to, you know? So there's so many little things you have to think about. And that's why the different games are neat because every game may have different rules. Some games may have a stacking system where two units, two two creatures, two models could be on the same square. That's permitted. Pathfinder D&D, it wouldn't be, but... You play out rules and go, oh, yeah, hey, when we going to do that, how are we going to hmm, how are we gonna account for that? Yep. Um, and so right now, like I say, the best part about this is I have to play a bunch in order to get through this, and that's, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Shit. More oh, play. Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's real <laughs> tough, you know. Being a new Flander, good-looking, and playing a lot of role-playing games, uh, I don't know how I'll get through. <laughs> well, 
you do what you have to with what life gives you. That's just the way it works. <laughs> You're an inspiration right. to us all. I, yeah. I've been told yeah, that when people see me, that's what they say. Wow, you are – you make me think things. Yeah, that's what people say. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for coming on, Books. We really appreciate you coming in and talking about your project. It's, it's fascinating. And, yeah, please keep us updated about uh, how this progresses. And maybe you can come on in a year or so and we can talk about the things you've learned and the changes you've made and how it's all turned out. Yeah, well, actually, you know, one of the things I'll have to try to do is I'm not sure where it goes on the testing because, of course, being a teacher means that uh, you're working pretty long hours and things. But uh, as this goes along, one of the things I'll, I, I will certainly take away from our conversation is the idea of trying to get out to the crowd with this and saying, hey, what can we do together um, as a community? I think that's going to be powerful. That'd be really neat to see where that goes to because I think that in and of itself would be an interesting thing to see how does the community respond to doing this together. It's I'm not saying it has been done before, just not something I've been a part of, but most gamers I know are, are are pretty kind people, so I, I think we mm. need to see people working together on this. I, again, another way for people to bond and enjoy and meet up and have fun. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And like I said before, I think the tabletop crowd will really embrace this. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things I've thought about in my testing thing is just to go by, say, the our local games workshop and say, hey, not for nothing, here's two copies if people want to take this. Here's a here's a, an email address if people want to send me any feedback, so I can do some kind of small testing outside in the local community and say, what was your feedback on that? What did you not like? And say, hey, it's it's free. Just let me know what you need, and I'll see what else I can come up with. So, I think there's going to be an intermediary step there. We'll see if there's some gamers out there that I don't know well that I can say, hey, tear this up. Let's see where this really goes. Let's get some honest feedback, and I think that'd be a good intermediary step as well. Another thing is, it's a good way to just test. People might say, no, I don't want that. You haven't written anything for this, and that's what I need. And I might go, hmm good point i hadn't thought of that better go mm. back to the drawing board so i think some uh, building this up in scale is going to be really critical because otherwise you can just build a really crappy bunch of, of ai rules that really haven't been tested and you can kill the whole idea if it's crap if you know what i mean right because it just oh, won't yeah, move definitely, definitely. um so it's not that i think this is great i don't i have fun with it my friends have fun with it but i'd like it to do well just because i think some of the, those solo gamers out there or small groups or whatever from those various scenarios we talked about i'd like it to work out for those people if you know what i mean i want i want gamers gaming because mm. that's that's yeah. what i miss is saying hey it's friday night but shit i'd really like to throw some dice hmm. I so, can really um, understand that. So now if, if people want to get a hold of you after listening to this show and just you know throw their two cents at you or whatever, how yeah. would they find you? So um, I'll, I'll take some feedback from you guys. Is this Would it be okay for me to just put out a, a sure. Gmail address here, do you think? Sure. If, if you, or, or I can just put it in the show notes if you'd prefer, and then they can just go to the show notes and click on the link. I'm okay. I'm okay. I've got a a a um, an email address. It's just I don't so have a lot of experience with community. Yeah. So it's uh, Sackville, uh, as in the place S A C K. So Sack and V I A V I L L E Sackville D M, as in Dungeon Master. So Sackville D M at Gmail dot com. And I would really, uh, hopefully, people will be friendly. But I will take any and all comments, ideas. Uh, where I can, I will try to record anything I've done on a list of people have helped out and transfer that with the document every time if I can. Um, um, yeah, the idea is just get ideas going and, and if people got idea. And someone says, hey, give me what you got. I want to do this and make it on my own. I'm happy with that too. Um, it's just I would really like some, some assistance for people who have good ideas and I'm not creative. 
Um, so anything uh, in that category would be really welcome. The math, of course, I'm comfortable on. Not that there aren't people who could certainly show me uh, a lot, a uh, lot better ways to do some of this. But the creativity is hard to come up with. Um, and if I can make a plea, so for example, you may have that a unit attacks the most armored, attacks the fastest, attacks the most wounded, attacks the most damage dealing, attacks the most with the most spells, uh, mm -hmm. takes the largest, attacks the smallest. So there's so many different ways you could make a list, uh, a master list of who to attack that coming up with all those ideas would be cool. Like for example, you could mm -hmm. have in Pathfinder where someone says, attack the person with the least charisma. <laughs> right person has something against ug ugly people they just don't like people from Ontario so you Ooh. can have um, a lot of fun with that but what are the ideas people have that right. would be really neat to hear from people say hey have you thought about uh, attack the tallest and here's why shit that's an interesting idea attack the tallest good call you know maybe there's a, a, a creature that works really well for or attacks the fattest you know, I'm a big guy myself, so I'm not being insensitive. I don't mean it that way. I just mean, hey, this creature is hungry, and that person's big, so you know it's more primal, and so it's trying to grab the mm. bigger prey to bring back to its uh, its cubs or something, kind of a thing. So makes sense. Yeah. Makes so, sense. but getting those idea out—that's where you need that. Like Jack Ward, uh, who I teach with, is just there's more creativity in the nail of his little finger than I have in my entire body. So conversations with him are always fruitful because just off the top of the head, he comes up with 15 things I've never thought of in my life. But that's what uh, would be helpful early on is people saying, hey, loved your idea. Uh, thank God you're from Newfoundland. But hey, have you considered this? That would be really helpful at this point because where I'm still at that what I'd call early phase one testing and writing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So all listeners, you heard him. You heard the man. Let him know your thoughts, your ideas. Yes, please, and, far and wide. Even if it's just to say hi with some general ideas. I mean, really, uh, anything I'd love to hear from anybody with thoughts. That would be really fun, really fun. Okay, very cool. All right, mm -hmm. so, thank, so thank you, Books, for coming on. Mm -hmm. um, thanks, Don, for another show. And thank you, listener, for listening to us talk about automation in tabletop gaming and role-playing game. Uh, hopefully you've got some ideas, and hopefully you found the show interesting. Tune in next time for another interesting topic. Until next time, take care, stay frosty, and keep gaming. Good night. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember... That to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!